Welcome to Regulatory Ramblings. Our guest today is a dear friend of HKU. Karina Balin is one of the instructors in our professional FinTech certificate course where she teaches a module on crowdfunding. She's also the Hong Kong-based co-founder and CEO of WHUB, a startup ecosystem builder and the largest startup platform in Hong Kong. Her group helps start startups grow and enables stakeholders to connect with the innovative power of the ecosystem. They were also recently named the organizers of HK FinTech Week, which starts October 30th. And uh, she's also the co-founder, COO, CFO, and RO, responsible officer, of Angel Hub, Hong Kong's first and only startup investment platform licensed by the SFC for professional investors and growth tech companies that are interested in scaling in Asia. She's also been deeply immersed in Hong Kong's startup scene for the past decade as a member of the startup committee of the Commerce and Economic Development Bureau's uh, Bureau of the HKSAR and a member of the organizing committee of the Interpreneur Awards of the Federation of Hong Kong Industries and a member of the HKTDC Belt and Road Greater Bay Area Committee. Karina was also named one of the 10 best female entrepreneurs of the world by the True Global Ventures and Women of Hope. And she's also volunteered at HKIS in multiple capacities. As you can see, she has many accolades. I, I won't belabor that. But uh, Karina, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. It's such a great pleasure to be back here at HKU. Much obliged. Um, we're honored to have you. Tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, where you grew up, and what, what your formative years were like. Thank you. Actually, already your introduction shows that uh, I'm not very uh, young anymore, right? So I you're can, established. Uh... <laughs> you're part of the community. Uh, so I'll try to uh, cut it relatively short because I think I've been really blessed on being able to uh, work and live in different parts of the world. I uh, grew up in in Germany mostly. My, my passport is German. Uh, I had a chance to spend quite some time in, in the U.S. Uh, my father's work uh, brought us there. Uh, okay. But uh, then actually, yeah, as you said, uh, uh, studied at the University of Mannheim and the ESSEC Business School in, in Paris. And uh, there with that uh, double diploma, I actually decided to start my professional career in France, in, in Paris, with Procter & Gamble, as you rightly said. And uh, that gave me tremendous opportunities to come to Asia, to Japan first in, in 2005 uh, for, uh, for seven years, and uh, then moved with Procter & Gamble also here to uh, now my beloved uh, Hong Kong, uh, Hong Kong, which I, I call, uh, uh, which we call our home, because in the meantime, we, we grew to a family. Uh, my husband uh, and me have three children here. And uh, I I'm here already for, for 12 years, and uh, it's also thanks to Hong Kong, or I would say I always owe Hong Kong the fact that I uh, adventured out into entrepreneurship, and I definitely do not regret it. And uh, I think if there's one place uh, where you would uh, really uh, make this move, it's, uh, it's here in Hong Kong. That is so true. Many people who you would never guess catch the entrepreneurial bug in, in Hong Kong, and it, 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 it inspires them in, in ways you... you you, you couldn't have imagined and and you know great great things have come of that so what prompted you to start w hub and angel hub i mean that you 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 could have done many other things with your life I mean. 
Yes, I think the transition at that point in time uh, wasn't that abrupt. So it was interesting that uh, at Procter and Gamble, one of the things that really attracted me was that purpose-driven uh, mindset of uh, our uh, mission up there was clearly defined as we're here to improve people's lives, and that was through bringing superior, fast-moving consumer goods uh, to the industry. And I think I really resonated with that, and obviously resonated with the people that I work with. I think that is something uh, particular for youngsters listening in mm, is uh, probably something that really defines your 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 career moves. Uh, in addition to having a very uh, insightful uh, career opportunity and great roles and responsibilities, it's really the people you work with and, and you do it with. And so mm. when uh, my co-founder and me, so my co-founder uh, Karen uh, Karen Conte who actually also uh, contributed uh, to uh, to the HKU uh, course. Yeah, uh, we sure. knew each other from Japan and we uh, met here back in, in, in Hong Kong. And uh, we realized that there was a, a tech and entrepreneur scene that was uh, very small, very self-centered at that point in time, but very committed. And uh, we truly found uh, our passion and purpose on helping these tech entrepreneurs and their team to bring their service and product to life. And that resonated. So. Again, it was a pretty much purpose-driven, look, these people are trying to solve uh, problems and some really important problems that we're facing with technology in, in very elegant ways. So wouldn't it be very, very purposeful and meaningful to help and support them? And at the same time, uh, having lived in Japan for, for quite some time, and my co-founder Karen actually grew up most of the time in Japan. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, she is, if you call me, you know, coming from the finance sector, I, it's, I always have a smile on my face because I remember Karen and me debating uh, back in 2005, six, so who was re really working in real finance. So she was an exotic trader at, at JP Morgan. And obviously that's, after, uh, that's after Lehman happened, I think the definitions of real and uh, not real finance started shifting a little bit. But uh, that's a little bit the joke between between the two of us. It's um, funny. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but but coming back, I think um, we also resonated a lot, uh, not only in the banking sector or not only in, in typical corporate careers and not only in maybe uh, places in uh, like in, in Japan where it might be challenging for some type of talent to really find their, their place in a corporate career. Yeah. Uh, we felt also that the need really from the talent side to find alternatives to contribute to uh, the economic growth to society and, and be working in maybe a different structures than a typical corporate career. So as you can see, we, we saw these two problem statements on the one hand side, the entrepreneurs and, and relatively small teams and, and established teams here in, in Hong Kong. Um, we can go back to Hong Kong's uh, startup ecosystem at that time was not necessarily youngster, it was maybe more career switchers who could bootstrap their companies to a certain stage, but then really needed talent to grow. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, we, we found when we saw the talent need uh, to be able to, to find different career opportunities, maybe also if you want to venture out from a typical marketing job to uh, maybe something else. It's it's typically something you cannot do in a well-established corporate structure where you are hired for your expertise and track record and to deliver that over and over again versus venturing out into a, a startup and a company where you can take on broader responsibilities, maybe learn along the way on the job. Um, and so we saw the, these you know two problem statements probably matching. And, and what do you do in, in, in very uh, good old uh, entrepreneurial and startup mindset is, uh, well, you, you make a leap of faith assumption. You say, here's a match to make. And that's how we started uh, WHUB, really as a job recruiting platform, um, knowing that uh, really being inspired by the startup teams, founders, to put them into the center and then help 
hence help that matchmaking to become the, the jobs DB for, for startups. But as you could see, then logically trying to understand what, what else do you need as a startup to scale, uh, not only talent, uh, but visibility, customers, investment. So everything that we do developed along the way from W Hub to then even founding Angel Hub was really driven by this, by this purpose of making a change by helping startups because we believe tech companies are the ones who are driving innovation and, and economic growth. No, what you're doing is laudable because a lot of the, I mean, I, I used to work for a on campus, not here in, in Chicago, at the Illinois Institute of Technology for the first half of 2006 and then I came back to Hong Kong. Uh, it was an on-campus tech incubator and uh, a lot of the time the common thread was engineers and scientists, they know their contraptions, their devices, they know their... They know the nuts and bolts of their invention. They don't know too much about anything else, especially if they're academics and they live in cloistered environments. And um, so, yeah, alerting them to the issues they will face in the marketplace is, is definitely uh, you know, something worthwhile. Lest I forget, congratulations on being awarded the HK FinTech Week contract. I, I know you weren't the only bidder and uh, it's a huge undertaking. Absolutely. We're very, very excited, particularly actually in this year, to carry the torch forward uh, from uh, from that really great uh, brand name. I mean, beyond the brand name, like flagship conference uh, that developed over the past seven years. And uh, now with uh, a lot of things happening in the Hong Kong fintech uh, space. Uh, it's on the international uh, calendar. It, it's totally on the international calendar. And yeah. again, I think uh, kudos to uh, the, the entire ecosystem and also the, the previous um, event organizers really on uh, bringing this on the global map. I think that is the passion that very often unites us here in, in, in Hong Kong, be it uh, you know entrepreneurs or people active in the space across organizations, across companies, uh, even within you know regulators and uh, established corporates to see how can we really bring Hong Kong uh, to, uh, to its, its, its well-deserved position on the global map and you know how we can really unleash the power of, of Hong Kong's ecosystem in the fintech space and we can dig a little bit further you know how fast actually since 2016 things really have developed uh, to now also becoming uh, you know a really thriving uh, digital asset or a web3 hub um, and uh, and lines obviously blurring in, in, in that sector uh, between fintech and, and, and the web3 space so it's yeah. a very very exciting moment right now and uh, we're very honored because we we truly uh, believe that with, with our purpose, uh, also with our connection in the ecosystem, we can help to make this not only a typical conference, but really an industry enabling and, and shaping and advancing venue uh, that, uh, that is here to enable the, not only the local, but the regional and global uh, fintech ecosystem. I don't want to take anything away from Finnovation. They've done, they've done a good job for, for, for a good number of years. You, and just as I have no doubt, you, you'll do a good job because, I mean, I've seen the, the bios of your, your team. You, you've assembled a good team. But it's a huge undertaking. It's going to require a lot of bandwidth. It's going to require working with the government, the politics, the bureaucratic rigmarole, all of that. What, knowing all of that, what compelled you to go forward with, with this? Yes, well, 
actually we're not new to the conference business. So right. if I go a, a little bit back with with WHUB, and I think even the but way is, how we ended is, it's up, it's a scale, right? Absolutely. Well, it's 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 a bigger scale, but uh, we have been uh, uh, loyal uh, supporters of the Hong Kong uh, Start Me Up Festival, uh, also uh, organized by uh, Invest Hong Kong, yeah. and actually took over uh, in 2020 a quite important position to become uh, one of the core uh, events uh, and uh, hosting that uh, two days conference centerpiece, uh, which uh, we at that point in time brought for the first time really online and, and brought uh, even you know our, our government and other co-champions uh, with us online to be one of the first online conferences back then in, in, in 2020 right. uh, and, and really continue to. But before that, even, you know, in 2019 at the convention center, I think our um, SIS uh, startup and then scale up impact summit was coined one of the most international conferences that draw a, a big attendee uh, point over here. Um, what what draws really, really to that? I think what is really interesting is even to go a bit back in time. Um, if we think about the W Hub, we really see ourselves as an, an ecosystem in Asia or accelerator as you, as you want to, as an ecosystem accelerator, not a dedicated, only a specific uh, startup scale-ups in a certain budget, but being the glue who brings the, the ecosystem together. And uh, we do not necessarily need to execute programs ourselves. We, we started off on bringing a, a lot of uh, hackathons and, uh, and um, acceleration programs in co collaboration with tech stars over. But again, a lot of these then developed on their own. We had our own acceleration programs here built up, uh, incubation programs taking the place. I mean, just to name, right, CyberPorch, HKCP in, in terms of incubation, but in terms of acceleration program, Brink, uh, which is still running one of the, you know, uh, my finest uh, hardware acceleration programs back then that ventured out into you know health tech and uh, and and web3 and, uh, and and different areas so all of that again we don't need to organize it ourselves and own it and back in 2014 when Paddy Cosgrave was actually uh, touring Asia to understand where he would land the sister platform of uh, the web summit here in Asia so the, the Asian sister uh, rise um, we were actually oh, a right. really really we were a group of, of a few uh, close-knit uh, you know people including Casey Lau uh, um, including Invest Hong Kong uh, exactly and, yeah. and really convincing him and telling Paddy you know if there's one place you need to set up a tech conference it's definitely here in, in Hong Kong, particularly back then in 2015. It was a little Over bit the Singapore? turning point. Over Singapore. One of the reasons we told him was it's because Hong Kong wasn't crowded at all. And if you want to take it at storm and, you know, want to make a difference. And if you want to have that connectivity really across Asia, it has to be Hong Kong. So here my point. RISE set up in 2015. And right. we really, really um, made it our pleasure on supporting the local ecosystem to be part of RISE, on, on supporting RISE, uh, you know, in, in, in really uh, recruiting, you know, startups uh, across the region. So we did not go into the conference business straight away. We ran job fairs to, you know, major tech events just to complement, you know. Uh, same actually as we did for FinTech Week previously. We ran job fairs. We ran hackathons just to complement the conference. Now, at the point when Rise went out, we was like, wait a second. We still need a prominent tech conference here in Hong Kong. And that's actually when we started first tendering uh, for Start Me Up Hong Kong Festival and say, we want to be part of that to run a full-fledged tech conference. Why did we pivot to, to, to FinTech Week is, has much more to do with the synergies that we're driving through the investment platform. Because on AngelHub, our investment mandate really focuses on uh, FinTech, Web3, and tech-empowered ESG companies, which are really at the core on, on, on what, uh, what FinTech Festival is. Certainly, there are opportunities to be had. 
And at that point, yeah, you could say 2015, you could say Hong Kong was more of a virgin territory, somewhat. But a virgin territory also means more hard work, right? As opposed to everything's Absolutely. already, the yeah. infrastructure's already set up yep. in Singapore, even though it's more state-driven here, it's more market, industry-driven, which in the Hong Kong fashion means things tend to pr progress more slowly. Uh, they tend to adopt the wait-and-see approach for a long time, if we were having this discussion 18 months, two years ago, we would say, just on crypto, virtual assets, we would say Singapore's in pole position. And then out of nowhere, the dark horse of Dubai came up, which, which is a whole other can of worms in its own regard. And I'm not entirely sanguine about Dubai, given notwithstanding there's a lot of praise and press for it right now. But coming back to you, uh, you came from the business world and you had ample experience from the corporate sector. You had a you had a non-STEM background. You didn't have a traditional scientific engineering background married to an MBA. And I, as I understand, your experience was in finance, strategic planning, forecasting, supply chains, trans, business transition. So what prompted tax you to... And tax and law as well, okay. <laughs> which is the linkage to HKU law. <laughs> there is that. Mustn't, mustn't forget that. Uh, um... So you chose to walk down the path of an entrepreneur, which is filled with risk and peril, but also great reward if, if you hit it off. And specifically, but specifically, you chose the path of a tech entrepreneur. And, and even though we all use technology in, in our lives, if you were to tell most people to do something tech-oriented, like telling someone like me to learn Python, I mean, most people would maybe not tremble, but they would tend to back away from that. Most people don't want to do anything too tech or math or quantitatively inclined. Um, what, so what you, you, you plowed into a field you knew nothing about, but you had skills from your former life that were sort of ap ap applicable. Um, what, what, how, how did that work out? So what, 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 what was... What was the moment of epiphany where you said, yes, I can do this and that I, I can chart a path for myself in, in technology? I think there's so many questions in this one question. And I think it's to, yeah. to, to answer the, the last one first. So there was Profound no moment of, of right? epiphany. Exactly. Yeah, there yeah. was no moment of epiphany. So it was a, uh, uh, I wouldn't call it a slippery slope because it's slope I would walk again every time, but it was a smooth slope. And I think yeah. uh, my, my short answer would be, uh, you know, passion is, is a blessing and a curse. So I think once you really become passionate about something, and I was not the one who coined that phrase, um, you know, nobody is as uh, sexy as uh, somebody who's passionate about something and uh, mm. I think when you started which yeah. comes a little bit back to the linkage at the beginning of being purpose-driven right and, and right. really resonating with making a meaning in uh, meaningful impact uh, to, to society I think but it, having it's the really, dream and the drive if, yes yeah. I mean just to to really really reinforce what you say most is people it, only have the form is, is, is it a smooth road no it's a totally bumpy road for yeah. sure right and I think uh, obviously uh, very often the media would uh, would uh, uh, really translate it in, in a way that is totally uh, Totally inadequate, right? Uh, uh, and again, it was not me who coined the phrase. Uh, you know, very. It, it takes a long time to become famous overnight. So it's it's really hard, hard work, and uh, it's something that you know need to work on. And it's it's uh, you know with, with a lot of things. But first of all, uh, yeah. no, I do not have a tech background, and I think that's probably one of the reasons why I became so passionate about it, uh, because I think being one of uh, a very low tech person to get into this space, I think I was just 
like a child in front of a Christmas tree, which really validated one, remember the, the, the problem statements that we were trying to solve. If you're an individual who wants to contribute, maybe in a different way that you used to contribute in, in, your, in your corporate uh, career, and you find that so much more meaningful, well, there, there is a place for you to go. And I have to say, I would have never founded this company without my co-founder, Karen, and yeah. she has the engineering background. And as you also know, uh, you know, they're stating you a lot of these phrases that you can find on the walls of co-working spaces. For a successful tech company, you need the hacker, but you also need the hipster and the hustler. So coming back to what are some of the skills that I transferred from, from P&G. Yeah, jobs in Bosnia. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. what are some of the skills that I preferred? So, so yes, I was in a traditional finance career, but um, I was quite fortunate to be put on, on, on a fast track uh, career within PNG where you have the, the right or even the, the, the obligation to venture out into a different uh, department just to brush up your skills to get you ready for, for general management. So you knew operations. I did sales. I did yeah, sales. Yeah, yeah. So, so here you go. So I was uh, really trained in persuasive selling um, at, uh, at PNG. Um, and so some of these skills are on, on, on really, um, you know, uh, having a passion on, 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 on marketing a business idea and going to market definitely are things that I transferred. Particularly also when, when you grow, obviously having worked for a company with very strong, you know, structure and organizational discipline and rigor can help, particularly when you start launching a, uh, a fintech company that is regulated by, by the SFC. Um, so, uh, so that, yes. Yeah. Whereas I would argue some of the things at the beginning I think you really have to unlearn when you come from a corporate career because uh, some of the things that, uh, you know, do work very, very well in a structured organization is, yes, once you found your product market fit, then it's all about simplifying, standardizing and scaling it. But a startup at the very beginning actually is looking, is in search for a product market fit. So you have to unlearn to be in a corporate setting. You have to uh, be able to, to be agile, to be flexible. Uh, ego should never be, be a problem, which probably as a founder isn't a problem anyway because you don't mind your intern who joined you three weeks ago to find the right tone and manner uh, to get you the right uh, clicks and visibility on social media. You know, it, right. it's it, it's not about uh, chasing uh, turf fights and whatsoever. It's really about solving that problem, bringing the company forward. So so these are things I think you, you learn along the way. You, you naturally also, you know, uh, get on. Um, but then there are certain elements when you start growing the company, obviously, yes, you look back and say, like, okay, well, how did we do that? How did we structure that? You know, what are things that we, that we have to have in place? And very particular with, with the investment platform, again, when it comes in terms of, you know, assessing companies, assessing uh, business plans, assessing uh, financial models. I mean, th that's what I, what I used to do for, for P&G when we did the decisions for, for portfolio decisions in which company to invest in, which product lines to invest. You know, you, you, you pan out, you do a financial planning for, for five years and you try to understand what, uh, you know, how, how you model, uh, you know, uh, the upsides, how you model return on investment. Assessments, uh, how do you assess uh, risk? Uh, so all of these, of, of course, are skills that I, that I can use now. The science of business, the science of finance, and certainly too many founders of startups have been accused of having the um, sloppy, temperamental, artistic mindset, that, that there are things that don't occur to them, and that's why certainly they, they need some someone like you. Uh, it strikes me, though, that as I look at the growth of fintech and crypto, that a lot of people in this space don't have tech backgrounds. And the ones that are techies and know about business, quite frankly, find them to be charlatans. Is, is, that, is that overstating the case? Or do 
do non-techies have something to add? Do, do they have some value to bring? Definitely, which comes back to my statement, you need a hacker, a hipster, and a hustler. And I think very often, even now, when we look uh, from, from an angel app point of view into investing into, into companies, um, obviously, the earlier stage you go, you would find companies either particularly strong on the tech side, and maybe, as you said, lacking uh, some uh, acumen in terms of sales or in terms of business development, in terms of strategy, or, or even go to market, right? How do I market my product? Right. Yes, I, I know that my pro product is the best, but unfortunately, it's not the love for my own product that counts to make sales happen. It's I need to be able to, to really tell a story and convey that and, and, and uh, capture and, and sell that value to others to be able to have a sustainable um, business. On, on the other hand, as you said rightly, you, you might find teams that are very, very strong in understanding the market environment, the opportunity can deliver a great sale, but then the product lacks in terms of competitiveness of, of technology. It's, it's just not there. So I think the real, real challenge very, very early on, and obviously a, across the growth of companies and even in, in big corporates, is still finding that right balance, right? And is trying to uh, find the, 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 the right equation and the right people mixture of having these different skill sets inside. So it's, it's interesting. You, you talked about pace, and I really had a comment. I had to bite my tongue in terms when you talked about pace with regards to Hong Kong, and maybe we can get back to that because I think one of the biggest um, one of the biggest things that always strikes me quite a lot is is the lack of trust that we in Hong Kong have about our own capabilities as a Hong Kong ecosystem to to, to grow, uh, and I think very often uh, people do the mistake on looking backwards, and I fully agree. Two thousand fifteen. We were so behind, behind everyone. But look from 2015 to 2019, uh, we scaled uh, over over 10 unicorns in a short amount of period and leapfrog ahead and becoming one of the highest densities of unicorns per capita. And I think the, the, the pace of change in which things can happen here in Hong Kong is incredible. So yes, you would Singapore always... and Dubai get more respect? Do I think actually, uh, first of all, the I global think media are covering them absolutely, more than absolutely, full stop. Yes, they do. Uh, you talked about uh, you know the power of uh, of marketing and storytelling. I think yes, they do. Do they get it for? for We've got the biggest PR firms in the world. I mean, they charge a pretty penny in Hong Kong. So what what are they doing wrong? Well, I think what what is really I think important if you if you think about uh, just looking back in terms of what are we promoting, I think we're we're not enough promoting on the sex cases, success cases here in Hong Kong. If you go back before 2021, I think we had like a, a four or five unicorns in, in Singapore. And I'll just take that as one indicator, right? Because it's not only about unicorns, it's about a, a broader ecosystem. But if you take it as an indication of scaling a tech company successfully quite fast to a level of, uh, of, of, of revenue that allows a certain valuation that is, that is quite sizable, to be part of that rare club, which isn't that rare anymore, I know. But anyway, coming back to my point is, I think this is something that, did, did we communicate about it? So I don't know what who is tasked to do that type of promotion. Yeah, and then, I don't know. I mean, that's one of the roles, again, why, 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 why WHAP became so passionate about talking yeah. about it, by issuing our own white papers, by promoting, by being out there at conference and say, look, I think we're totally underestimated. And I think one of the things and the pitfalls I don't want to fall into is, is talking down on Singapore and, and Dubai. Oh, not at all. And I think as a startup, 
you don't want to be only in one place. You want to go global. You have to be. You should be everywhere. You have opportunities to seize in Singapore uh, that are much better to be put over there than here into Hong Kong. Same thing as Dubai. And we'll get to the, the Web3 space because I think it's interesting to see that history somehow repeats itself, right? Where we could think, wow, our, our regulators might be very, very hesitant to take a proactive role into looking into the space, right? Into regulating the space. But look, I think one of the things that 2016 and onwards has taught us in fintech, as soon as our regulators become really, really serious, putting uh, contact points in place. I don't know if you remember this, right? 2016, fintech week. Fintech week is always the platform yeah. where policy uh, and, and regulatory changes are at least announced or, or, or even, you know, uh, put forward. And uh, 2016 was the first sandbox announced by the HKMA, yeah. only for incumbents. One year later, a joint sandbox, uh, well, actually, even before 2017, in, in the beginning, in, in spring, right, HKMA comes out with their seven, uh, seven or eight, I think, seven initiatives, including, uh, you know, the open API, uh, including the uh, faster payment service, uh, including a few initiatives, a lot of talent development with Astri together. Brilliant. 2017 fall, again, FinTech Week, here we go, joint sandbox between the regulators moving forward, announcing clearly we will get into the virtual banking uh, space as well. Beginning 2019, the year of FinTech, the first uh, two or even three virtual insurance licenses approved by the insurance authorities, uh, seven virtual asset uh, uh, banking licenses approved by the HKMA before anybody else in the region. And then even a little bit further in, in the year, uh, the SFC, you know, announced a few companies, asked, well, the SFC didn't announce. A few companies made it into the sandbox of, of the SFC, including AngelApp on, on being the first uh, regulated investment platform. So things changed super, super quickly. Um, and even back in 2015, right, it was the first year the word startup made it into the budget declaration of our um, financial secretary. And, and since then, again, very fast. So looking forward now, Web3, you talked about it. Great example. Last fall at FinTech Week, you know, HKMA, SFC, standing out there and say, looking, particularly on the SFC and the Web3 space, we are going to look into the digital asset space. And that was after beginning 2022, a circular came out for all intermediaries that were de dealing in virtual assets. We were like, wow, I think we're really far away from uh, even being able to commercialize it to anything related to, to, to retail investors or so. So look back now, we're July 2023, and uh, there are different rumors out there on how many uh, virtual asset uh, you know, trading platform applications are, are already out there. Right. Um, and, uh, and things can really, really, really move fast. And I think that's the impressive point of, of Hong Kong. So you will always underestimate Hong Kong if you look back should look forward. Hearing you say that, I mean, for one thing, your, your, your excitement and, and passion is palpable. <laughs> uh, many people, even if they feel that way, they, they, they don't let it on as much. Um, and hearing you list the achievements year by year, clearly then that would leave one with the impression that Hong Kong has not been standing still. It's been working slowly, steadily, methodically towards its goals. Yet perception does become reality. And for whatever reason, not that much money is flooding into Hong Kong in these spaces versus other parts of the world that, I, that I've already named. So clearly marketing and telling your story is important. But in Dubai, they've got Vara, which, if you ask them, 
they've only got 12 regulators full-time, I understand. Two of them are former Hong Kong emigres. They would say they're taking the light-touch approach. You talk to people here, they would say it's borderline self-regulation, and self-regulation means no regulation, taking the post-2008 experience into account. Uh, that Hong Kong has more defined rules and rights, and that, I don't know, the census in Dubai, they've given the industry too much of what they want. They're being too accommodated. They're being too lax. They're being too willing to bend over backwards. In Hong Kong, if I were to use the hedge fund example in 2006, you had hedge funds telling the SFC, Singapore doesn't expect this of us. And the SFC stood its ground and said, okay, fine, then go to Singapore. And that was a position that served Hong Kong well at that time, because then the, then the crisis came. So this segues into my, my next question, which is to what extent, as an entrepreneur, do you feel Hong Kong's like legal and regulatory system is conducive to fintech entrepreneurs more generally, and, and are there any aspects of the local regulatory regime you'd like to see changed in terms of virtual assets, Web3, uh, and, 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 and the like? Um, I mean, what, what, um, how, how do you feel about the local system as, as an entrepreneur? Absolutely. Yeah, has, has it hindered you? Has it helped you? Has it, has it given you credibility in terms of dealing, your dealings overseas? Yes. So again, lots of questions in one. I, I love it. I think I probably start answering uh, with building on, on on a statement that you you made coming from that marketing element, right? So if if I'm so passionate about it, um, why you're an effective salesman. That that certainly helps in terms of selling. I mean. <laughs> yeah. And again, I think I think actually the, the people in the space are, are are very passionate. And if you if you tease them about the, oh you know, co compare yourselves to other ecosystems, you will, you will see that passion come out. But I think at the same time, we're also the first ones uh, to go out there and say, we're not moving fast enough, uh, really engaging with, again, regulators, uh, legislators, uh, with the broader ecosystem and saying like, look, if we compare ourselves to some of the most uh, thriving uh, tech ecosystems uh, around the world that maybe have started much earlier than us. But look, the, the, these are the paths we still need to go. I'm not talking fintech specific in, in general, right? Uh, because again, if you think about that, I think that is arguably the power of Hong Kong. That on the one hand, you have the, the entrepreneurs and the people really believing in, in that wonderful mixture of ingredients. If you put it rightly together, it can create explosive companies, again, that are not just unicorns, but they're leading on the global agenda. I mean, again, look at it. I mean, since time is not just a unicorn, right? Uh, if you think Animuka brand is not just a unicorn. If you think about BitMEX that came out, if you think about DJI coming out of Hong Kong, I mean, they are not just big companies. They're, they're, they're market leaders or in the top, you know, uh, ranks at the global level. So yes, we're passionate, but we're also the big, the biggest criticism, criticizers, so to speak, because obviously, and that's another part to, to your question, which is, I mean, when you talk about regulatory from regulators never go first and never should go first and can go first. You know, it's not about for regulators to innovate. It's for regulators to understand uh, what does that innovation in, uh, mean? You know, what, what are the risks? What are the dangers? Um, and That's then what hence, irritates the industry about Singapore that because they're taking the top-down approach and saying, 
Yeah, this but, is but how look it's what happened, be. particularly in the digital asset space. So they went ahead and now they're making a move backwards. Because everything's nothing's being approved. And, and, and then they made the move backwards, right? Yeah. And so again, I, I don't want to fall into the pitfall on, on, on comparing or, or downplaying what, what Singapore is doing. And I think actually one of the things that really helps us is, is, is really also that healthy, you know, competition or benchmark to say like, look, how are other people in the space looking at? You talked about Dubai. I would like to uh, correct you about uh, Vara because I think actually Vara is not falling into that category of the type of, you know, regulation not worth the paper it's written on. In contrary, I think it's really applaudable and laudable what, uh, what, what, what Vara is doing in terms of an entire ecosystem play and really trying to design regulations that empower, uh, you know, not only to attract companies to set up shop there, but, but really empower an ecosystem. And what are Regulators like 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 Vara and, and even MAS in, in Singapore or here we're looking for is is not to be that a regulatory paradise and, and virgin island. You, you do need to create some type of passportability for companies to really really uh, come in and attract them because again tech companies per definition uh, would love or have the aim to go global, right? Not to stay in, in a specific market. So and I think you, you you mentioned it yourself a little bit like who are the people actually uh, that that are involved and, and really helping also to shape that. Frame, uh, shape that framework. A lot of them are are from from the core fintech scene here in 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 Hong Kong. Yeah, um, a lot of a lot of Hong Kong immigrants. But exactly, if you look and at again, they they're not immigrants in the sense. So, so they're they're in in Dubai as well as here in Hong Kong. And I think they're particularly excited also to see that openness now here from from the Hong Kong regulators to say, okay, look, now we, we really want to move forward. You had the question, does it help me or not? So um, of course, I think you know nobody would say. Um, I mean, regulatory, uh, let's say, uh, uh, license applications or so are the things that you love and as an entrepreneur. No, I mean, it's lengthy, it's uncertain, it's costly, right? It costs a lot of money, particularly in places here in, in Hong Kong. Uh, it costs a lot of money, right, to involve legal uh, support, etc., to, to go through that licensing process. That I think on, on the same hand, as much um, as it is easy to, to always talk bad about the regulators on being the showstoppers, etc., in, in, in yeah. some elements, I mean, it really helps you as an entrepreneur as well to put business models in place that are sustainable, right? So some of them, of course, you know, we get into the nitty gritty, we would say, okay, here we're overdoing it. And, you know, we talk about the uh, same business, uh, same risks or same uh, same regulations. So, so these are in the nitty gritty, you start arguing. It's like, no, 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 come on. I mean, let's be a little bit more pragmatic and let's, you know, let's be also a little bit maybe more open to change. And, you know, we're actually talking same business, same risk. So why don't, you know, you try to push that agenda forward. So I'm not telling you that it's not something that at one point in time, I would have been like... Can we not go faster? But again, I mean, looking back to your point, I think it's great because on the other hand, once you are licensed, I mean, having a type one and type four is like, we have the same type one and type four that any other, you know, financial institution that has a type one and type four out there, which really puts us at the it, like, it is and an therefore it helps. It is an imprimatur of respectability. Yeah. But if you look at the rules that came out for virtual assets a month and a half ago, and we've done a couple of shows on that, there's more expected of them in Hong Kong. Of than course, there is in Dubai. yeah. No, I, there is still more expected. I agree. And that's why I say, I think we're in the scene. We're very passionate on how things are changing. Because again, if we just go a little bit back in time, how long it took to be here where we are now, uh, or let's say in November with that announcement. So we are now proactively going to look into the space. We're even looking into, you know, retail investors and enabling, you know, oh, wow. digital assets. That happened in November, right? Yeah. And now it's not even a full year where we have, you know, license applications out there and, and we're going to see, you know, uh, licenses approved. Less than a year. And 
until then, I mean, we started looking really into the digital assets. So that's why we're very familiar with different regulators around the world. Because obviously, you go around and you say, like, oh, where can I do what I want to do? Because I think it's meaningful. Um, we're super excited because we thought like it will take much more than half a year right. to get there where we are. Are we, are, are we there where we want to be? No, by no means. So again, we're at the same time, I think probably the biggest uh, promoters. Cheerleaders and, and critics. And exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. Okay, no, and that, 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 that's fair. I mean, you, you, you play it fair in that, in that regard. Uh, Hong Kongers, I mean, having grown up here, I, I will say when they put their mind to something, they, they work very fast. And for the longest time, it's, it was said they seize opportunities. But as time went by, my view was, yeah, they seize opportunities when they're, when they're five feet in front of them. Uh, but there's very little low-hanging fruit because Hong Kong is no longer a virgin territory. Uh, one has to be in innovative. One has to be creative. You have to, you have to earn your keep. You have to earn your position at the table. And many felt that the the what happened from 2019 onwards kind of killed the entrepreneurial drive. And yet, you have people like yourself, though you've been here for a while now. Um, you're not a newcomer, but people come here and they see things with a fresh set of eyes. Um, many feel that that entrepreneurial drive is is dead or uh, lagging. Um, what what what? In, in an environment where there's a sense of malaise, there's a sense of uh, despair, Hong Kongers leaving for greener pastures to find that there are a few places in the world like Hong Kong, and in some cases returning, even from Singapore. What, what advice would you give young people, budding entrepreneurs, law school, business school, you know, d d deciding what, what they want to do? Do they get on a professional path, start a business? Enter tech. What I mean? Are there any common themes, threads, kernels of advice that you could give most people? I mean, it's difficult. It's different because the specific advice you're going to give one person traveling down one path may vary different uh, greatly from what you give someone else. But uh, any life lessons learned that you'd like to impart, given that we are part of a university? Yeah, absolutely, with pleasure. And I'll get back to some part of the, the original part of your questions as well, but to answer straight away first, I think um, if I compare graduates now versus when I graduated, and I'm not telling you how many years ago, again, I'm not outing myself <laughs> in terms of age. Um, I think, again, right now, there is you can look at the glass half full, half empty, which is, again, either a great opportunity or actually a, a big downside. And I'll come, yeah. I, I'll get to what, what I mean by that is when I graduated, there was either a glass full or a glass empty. It's like either you get into some of these big consultancy firms, these big FMCG companies, or these big investment banks, or, or, or even before you even think about what do you want to do in your life, right? You decide, okay. Do you think it was more binary when you were was, For me, at least, I'm, I'm really, it was super binary. You had to get into the best, in, you know, at the best, best grade at, the, at graduation at high school and to get into the best universities from the best universities, particularly in, in, in the French system as well. That's you know? how it's in Europe. Exactly. It's a stepping stone. Absolutely, yeah. stepping stone. So it, it was a ladder. It was clear 
clearly a ladder. It was so clear defined. If you want to uh, become, let's say, the, the CFO of a, of a fast-moving consumer goods company in the world, this is what you have to do. And this is what you tick the box on, and here we go. I think for the first time, it was uh, Sheryl Sandberg in her book who talked about the jungle gym, where moving forwards, careers became much more lateral and much more maybe a little bit down to climb up faster. And, mm. and I think my point was um, I learned a lot from that traditional corporate career, as I said, going into entrepreneurship parts. I had to unlearn parts really helped me to have confidence to move forward. Nowadays, I think there is no more one path which is, again, a great opportunity. So I wouldn't even say you have to start with a corporate or you have to start as an entrepreneur. I think whatever you do is be very conscious about what are the type of experience you're signing up for, what are the skills that are you learning, and how are these transversely you know, uh, applicable in, in, other, in, in, in other areas. So you can totally start off as, as an entrepreneur, run your business, and when you start recruiting for a big corporate, I think some of them are really looking for people that are much more entrepreneurial. I mean, every corporate nowadays wants to become a startup, right? Which is really funny because a startup starts up with trying to become a, a well-established uh, business model and a, and a big company. Um, so my, but my they whole want that point, energy and that vision. Yeah my, my, yeah, my whole point is actually at this point, I don't think there is any wrong choice for a first move out of your career. If you are really listening in terms of what is the type of experience and the type of skills that I can acquire? Hard skill, soft skill, network, uh, and, and then you move forward. And, and then you can still... My dad started with one company. He retired with one company. It's still this company that pays his pension, right? Versus you start off today, I don't know how many percentage of people we will have who have like a one company career in their life. So th this is the good news, but it's also the bad news because they, there's no more benchmark. There's not necessarily a right or wrong, right? You have to do this high school with this thing and then this university and this job and then this type of, you know, it's, it's more, it's more uh, you know, uncertain. It's, it's, it's the VUCA world out there, even for a career. Certainly what you're saying certainly applies for my generation, Generation X. Which actually, I wanted to get back, remember, to the, the beginning when, when you talked about entrepreneurship. Yeah. I think the number of times I, I heard that entrepreneurship is, is, is dead in Hong Kong or doesn't exist or is not as good as somewhere else. Uh, again, I think uh, history repeats itself a little bit. I think the biggest thing actually that, that really uh, not killed entrepreneurship because entrepreneurship in Hong Kong is not dead, uh, what, what really um, had a big, uh, uh, how should I like, a slowing effect on, on, on the development was COVID. Because I think yeah. one of the powers of Hong Kong that we sometimes underestimate Freedom of travel. is, uh, it, I'm not going to the travel necessarily, it's, it's people meeting physically. We always say, you know, the networking is in the DNA of people. And the number of times you, you reach out to somebody um, over LinkedIn or WhatsApp and say, can we meet up? I, I don't know, how, in, in less than 10%, you get a no. You maybe get a not this week, but next week. Or you maybe get a, oh, not today because I'm in Central and you're in Quarry Bay and you're like really far away. So yeah. maybe tomorrow because I happen to be in Quarry Bay. Yeah. Uh, but, but again, I think, and that's one, coming back when you said about the role of government, et cetera, I think one of the things that we pride ourselves here in Hong Kong is that the entrepreneurial scene is actually built by the people, right? And uh, you, you said that the, the government maybe only looks five steps ahead. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think it's necessarily the question of looking five well, the, steps the ahead. Peop the people look for they'll seize opportunities but only if it's five feet in front of them they won't think they won't take my grandfather's mindset of don't wait for work look for work 
Yes, but I think the point there is, I think what, what I very often compare is the incentives. You have other governments, again, not to, to name uh, the usual suspects that we already did in this conversation, who would really top down decide, I'll, I'll put the uh, financial incentives into certain areas to, to boost. I think it's a little bit more the other way. It's like um, maybe give a, a bit of a sign look if the private sector picks it up. If the private sector picks up, there must be something. And then I look back into how can I enable it? So it's it's, it's a little bit more this approach that I very often see, see here. Um, and again, does that maybe create the more sustainable business? Maybe. I don't know. Again, I'm not here to judge. But I think it's just a different approach. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily, you know, good or bad. And, and again, coming back, it's, it's not about uh, really uh, doing it, uh, you know, black or white just here or there. Uh, but I find it really interesting. I find it really in, intriguing. And again, at the one time, I'm, I'm really speaking for it because I think that there is a lot of, there is a lot of, there is a perception out there about Hong Kong that I think is is not truly capturing it. At the same time, uh, the value proposition, right? at the same time, inside, I would be again on the forefront on saying this is still what we need and we're still not here and this are still missing for us to, to really uh, further foster the growth of the ecosystem. And there are a lot of tox- negative toxic people out there. And, and I found many people in your position, they found for the sake of their peace of mind and their success, because negativity can be contagious, misery loves company. <laughs> they tend to shy shy away from those people. And there is something to be said for sometimes that that's just what you need to do. Tell us about the challenges you face as an entrepreneur. Um, and has it been better, different, tougher as being a woman? I mean, uh, in an ideal world, it wouldn't matter. But I guess that is something people would definitely want to hear about. Yeah, right. And again, the first answer is always like, uh, do you ask this question only to, to women or, or not? I mean, obviously, if you ask the question about a female entrepreneur, but but I think it, uh, very often... Because with I, men, it's the default, <laughs> so it, it doesn't come up. Yeah, be, be, I, I never actually, I never felt that. And and I don't know if it's uh, just uh, me in the way that I grew up in, in, in a village. I had an older brother for the longest time ever before. I had my younger sister, which was arguably my first child because she's nine years younger. So I felt more like a mother than, than a sister to her. Um, so so I, I, I really, I, maybe it's because I, I always grew up in, in, in an environment where, where I was mostly uh, around uh, boys or guys and I never really felt any different. And maybe my parents really instilled in me this, uh, you know, doesn't matter, uh, you know, if you're a girl or a boy, you, you just go out there and you do what you want to do. Uh, maybe it was also working nearly 15 years for Procter & Gamble, who was a company who really put a huge focus on on diversity, inclusion, and making sure that uh, you know women had uh, all the flexibility they needed to be uh, really as successful as their male counterparts, despite you know some some life changing events that maybe only happen to women and, and, and not to men, um, like for example giving birth to to, to three uh, three girls. Um, so so yes, so that of that of that may have may contribute to it. Uh, maybe by the way, I am. Maybe I do have uh, certain things that work against me, and I don't even know. Uh, maybe, but I've I've never really. When I really feel it is um, yes, and when 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 we proactively put the focus on you know what what does it mean to be a female um, entrepreneur, um, and and I think the typical part is is when you get the questions indeed from uh, potential investors in in terms of what is more important your business or your kids. Again, I don't think it's necessarily a question you would ask a guy. I mean, uh, is it more important to do the business or to be a father? I mean, again, there's certain questions. Yes, we get, and you can be offended by it. But I'm, I'm just. I brush it up, mine. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, you know, you vet your counterparts as much as they vet you. So uh, we you live, and, to... and and the world has come a long way. We live in a different world now. Uh, certainly, most of the successful women I've known have said, it, oftentimes, it's only 
it was only an issue to the extent I devoted my time and emotion and energy to. to That's beautifully said. Think, I'll pick that it. up. I'll try to remember that. <laughs> well, it's being recorded. So. <laughs> <laughs> True. So last back. question before we let you go. Women have made many inroads into banking, finance, the corporate world, especially in this town. Yeah. There are many women in executive C-suite positions in, in Hong Kong. Yet we hear about the underrepresentation of women, particularly yeah. in tech. Uh, is that something that can be cured? Is that something that can be fixed? Or do we have to acknowledge that people gravitate towards the fields they're meant to gravitate towards? Yeah, I think definitely, uh, definitely, um, particularly in, in, in fintech, by the way, where you inherit a, a gender diversity issue in, in financial services with a gender diversity issue in technology and you combine them, it's not going to get any better, or rather getting worse, um, yeah. for sure. I think it also allows me to make a point that even wanted to make on earlier when we talked about, you know, first career moves. And the, I think what we're talking right now in the advent of, of AI and generative AI and, and, and even that, uh, I, I mean, starting to grasp the impact it even has on on learning and reskilling ourselves, or even on not necessarily knowing how to code, because if you can ask ChatGPT to write the code for you for a certain program that you really want to have, again, I think we're just discovering that. And I think back to your point in in terms of how does that link to my reply to to girls? I think uh, I remember joining a very interesting training at at PNG. Um, uh, again, fabulous for, for, for its, its training and devotion to its employees. Uh, that was on purpose called sex at work. Uh, and it was really about uh, gender, diver um, gender biases that impact. And I think one of the biggest issues that we have in the financial services industry was the fact that a lot of these career paths, uh, even previously at that opinion, were, were, were geared to a typical from 25 to 35, you have to be all in. And then once you're there, then that's how you can get to the rest of the top ranks. Which obviously, if you want to somehow slot in giving birth to children, probably puts you on the back burner and that, that might be w one of the issues that could explain it, right? Mm -hmm. uh, again, these gender biases on having uh, boys, bosses that uh, maybe favor boys over girls, all of that could happen. Even though there's an interesting study out there from McKinsey that says that women bosses are 50% supportive and 50% non-supportive to, to, to women uh, employees. Yeah, I, I saw um, that. But my point on, on technology, and again, I'm not gonna, I'm not an expert, I'm not, you know, in, in that, I'll just quote again, um, I think uh, uh, it was, was was Cheryl Sandberg who, who said it. Uh, I think it was was really also the, the type of um, how do we give access to technology to children? And I think uh, a lot uh, at the very beginning, it was when, when when computers were associated to typewriting machines, actually the gender bias was the other way around. You had more female on, on computers uh, than, than male because it looked like a typewriting machine and so it was put in their hands. And then if, if we look into a lot of how people get access to, um, you know, through, through, through gaming or, or through other areas that were typically more boys category type, they had a, a nicer access or an easier access to, to technology and then even learn that. Um, and I think with, with a lot of games, even in Roblox or so, uh, making technology already from a consumption point of view accessible to girls. Uh, so it's not only the fighting game, the killing game, but it's like... Strategies. Uh, no, there, there are... There, there are certain strategies out there. Yeah. And I think schools are very much aware. So I'm pretty much involved in, 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 in the school of, of my girls. And I can see the tremendous, you know, really, really uh, thought process in how do we, you know, level up these, these biases on boys more 
generally, you know, playing with technology, and that's very often how it starts, you play with technology and then you start, oh, I may not want to consume, but I want to build something. That is, that is something where we break it out and that is really important. But there is a huge generational divide and yeah, I think it, totally. tra I agree. it transcends I agree. gender in that yeah. when I was in primary school in the early 80s, yeah, totally. computers were just starting to be rolled out. Fast forward 10 years uh, later, my cousin, who's 10 years younger than me, by the time he was born, the stand computers looked more like what they do today. Mm. They were already in a pretty evolved state. Mm. The graphical user interface was the standard. Whereas I remember the days of DOS. Yeah, exactly. And having yeah. to type in commands to, yeah. to operationalize. Everybody had their Commod Commodore 64. <laughs> well, that's even further back. But to operationalize a disk, and you need multiple disks, multiple floppies to uh, to upload a program. Uh, that that wasn't the case then, and, and certainly that that's how I can believe you see toddlers very comfortable with technology mm. because mm. they've been exposed to it at an early age, and people are concerned that that's going to lead to a different type of wiring yeah. of their brains because that much. T some parents now are saying no technology, mm -hmm. no no none of these gadgets for the for the early part of their children's lives. Yeah. Uh, so I, I do I do think there's that generational divide, but but yeah, there, there's sure. that that gender gap. But yeah, female gamers do exist. I I, I know yeah. I, I know a number. Of and, and much more games actually in that. Again, if I look, I only have girls at, at home, so three girls. Uh, yeah. But again, I think uh, one is is, is really uh, on. Uh, on, on, on different type of, of, of games in, the different in, inside type, uh, yeah, uh, robots. And again, it's, it, it, it might be a start. And, and I think it's an evening-filling conversation about the, the benefits and the dangers of, of, of gaming, for sure. But uh, I think it definitely will play a role on, on helping, you know, giving more access also to, to growth. And that's the only thing, uh, for sure. Yeah. I just want to give it as an example. Again, I'm not a, a research professor in that, so you probably uh, should ask that uh, question um, to, to somebody in that field. But I, I do feel uh, that really um, what we're seeing already Ready a shift. Uh, we can still see, you know, going into classes, and I see on, on Maker Day, and uh, you know, the, the, the girls would would innovate on, on on very different product categories than than boys. And I mean, it would be really interesting to better understand, you know, why. And if we really want to completely, and I don't know if we have to completely level it out, but what would that entail? Yeah, discussion for another time. Karina Balin, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, we hope you'll come back again. Thank you very much. It was such a great pleasure. Yeah, it was fun. And to our viewers, thank you all for joining us. Until next time.